Good morning. The Old Testament reading for today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. In your pew Bibles, it's on page 114. Hear the word of the Lord. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us, or not? A New Testament reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. In your pew Bibles, it's on page 1651. So he, that is Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the person where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, 
and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The disciples rejoined Jesus then. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans came from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Here ended the reading. May the Lord write these words upon our hearts with love and with understanding. Amen. Well, friends, it's hard to believe that we're now, we're at the, the middle of Lent. Can you believe that? It feels like Lent just began. Today's the third Sunday of Lent. So I want to just do a little reminder and then just look ahead to the rest of Lent and what we're going to offer during Holy Week really briefly. Um, I, I hope that you have adopted some spiritual practice. Maybe you um, are praying a little more, reading your scriptures more, meditating on the things of God during this season. Um, we have a few more Sundays of Lent and when we get into Holy Week, um, we have a packed week. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. I really want to encourage you to do all that you can to observe the rest of Lent. Maybe you're like me, right? You know, every Lent passes and you think, oh, I could have done a little bit better. You still got some time. And, uh, but for Holy Week, you know, Lent and then the pieces that we have during Holy Week help us make sense of what happens on Easter Sunday. We don't just arrive to the empty tomb out of nowhere. There's so much of the biblical narrative and story that we need to take in to ourselves so that we understand the full meaning and import of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Um, so I want to highlight this morning one of the special services that we're going to offer during Holy Week. We're going to have Monday, Thursday. We're going to have Good Friday. But on the Monday of Holy Week, we're going to offer a very special service that's going to be led um, by our own Lydia, Whitbin and her father, uh, Dr. 
R. Brian Widbin. Uh, Lydia, do you want to say anything about this, uh, this service before Brian comes into us? Just for a minute, he's going to pop on the screen. It's pre-recorded. Uh, he's going to pop on the screen, share a bit about this service. Lydia? Uh, so for those of you who don't know my father, uh, he has come and preached in the past here. But for those who don't know him, he is a professor emeritus of Alliance University in New York. Uh, professor of Hebrew Bible and the Ancient Near East, and he's been putting on presentations like this that really explore the culture behind the Bible um, and really give you a deeper understanding of the scriptures for many years. Um, he's also guides tours in Israel and is a, um, a reverend. He, he's been a pastor before as well, so um, we're really excited. I'm really excited to have this opportunity to participate with him in this special meal um, and so we encourage you, uh, after you see the, the video, to really think about signing up. It's not a huge time commitment, just an hour and 15 minutes of your time on Monday night. And it'll be such a joyous time of fellowship. Um, some people have asked about the cost, so I want to just briefly say that we will be taking donations at the event. So if you have the means, we will encourage you to give generously. But if you don't have the means, we don't want you to feel like you can't come. So come one, come all, and um, the more the merrier. I don't think that's Lydia's dad. Although, he does have a bit of a beard, so maybe the one on the left. We gotta go the other way. There we go. Is that link working? Maybe not. Maybe not. Still not Lydia's dad, I don't think. Well, we'll see if we can get that video up. Um, In the meantime, I'll do some stand-up. My wife tells me that if I did not go into ministry, I could have been a politician or a stand-up comedian. I don't know what that says about me, friends. Neither one of those sit entirely well. Do you think we can get it up? Maybe. Well, I tell you what, I do know that the, oh, here we go. Maybe this works. It was supposed to be embedded in there. I don't know what that means. Um, I do know that that video is on our Facebook page. So you can go on our Facebook page. You can see that was just posted a couple days ago. So you can see her dad there. Um, If we can't get it today, I tell you what, we'll do it next week. Um, We'll be able to do that. So come expecting 
to see uh, Reverend Whitman next week. We'll, we'll watch that. You can also find it on our Facebook page. Um, it's just a short minute clip of him talking about the service on Monday. So we'll make sure we can get that going next week, and then uh, you can also find it on, on Facebook. Well, friends, let's pray this morning. Lord, open our hearts to receive whatever it is that you would give us today. You know our hearts. You know our need. Meet us in that place. Help us to encounter you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The scriptures that we have during this cycle of church readings for Lent are a bit of a preacher's nightmare. Not only are they really long, like what, what, uh, what Nelson read, those 38 verses, and then next week is, I think, 50 verses, and the week after that is 40-some verses. These are long scriptures. I just told you that. None of you are going to show up next week or the week after. <clears throat> These are long chunks of scripture from John's gospel. So they present a bit of a dilemma for a preacher. Because, uh, for example, John 4, which Nelson read for us this morning, is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. And I come to this story, and I think, oh, there's so much there. Where could I even begin? But I thought of a way, perhaps, to get at um, the scripture today might be, might be a different angle for us. Um, sometimes these scriptures can pose difficulty in that Perhaps they're so familiar to us to be able to hear them with fresh ears, to be able to read the text as if for the first time is difficult as well. So as I was pondering this scripture all week, I, I was thinking about this, you know, when I was a teenager and then recently again, I've gotten really fascinated by my family history. And Amanda, will, my wife, can probably attest to that. And sometimes when I get into something, I get into something. So I got really into my, I took one of those DNA swabs. You know, you swab your, probably the government's making clones of me somewhere now because I did this test. Well, you use Ancestry.com and you take the, the cotton ball or you spit into the tube and you send it in and then they send you profiles about your genetic makeup and your family, where they're from and... Um, I found out that you know a lot of Scots Irish ancestry, and um, you know what they say about Italians, right? They're just people who wish they were Scots Irish. Yeah. <clears throat> so I doing family history and genealogy and trying to map all these things out. And um, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, and really got into making those family trees, I'd talk to family members and ask them stories about uh, ancestors of mine that, that had passed, but maybe they remembered and heard stories. And that's a lot of fun, isn't it? There's also a bit of a danger in that, isn't there? Because sometimes when you start asking questions about your family, you might find out things that aren't very pleasant. Maybe you wish you didn't know. I remember when I was um, doing my training as a chaplain at a hospital, we did something called a genogram. Have any of you ever heard of a genogram? A genogram is a, is a tool that you use to map out dynamics in relationships. So for example, maybe, um, maybe you have a proclivity for anxiety or depression. 
And a genogram can help you map that out and see that in your family. Because you know, so many of, uh, so many relationship dynamics are generational. And so you'd see, oh, I have a, a great grandparent who dealt with this and then a, a grandparent who dealt with this and then a, a parent who also did. And it helps you kind of make sense of your life. But frankly, it makes you look very clearly at some of the more difficult things in family dynamics. I can tell by looking at your faces that some of you know what I mean. There's things that come up in every family that are difficult. There's fractured relationships. There are words or actions that are spoken or done by us or to us that cause great difficulty. There can be a real sense of shame, can't there, in families. There can be a sense of guilt, distrust, all of those. When we approach the scripture from John 4, I want you to feel that. Feel a little bit of that. Tap into that. If that's resonating with you, hold on to that feeling of shame and guilt. Dig into your own family tree and perhaps think of some relationships that were difficult. Bring that to the text today. Because we have a woman that Jesus encounters who's dealt with all that and more. And here Jesus is a good Jew in the middle of the day. What a contrast to Nicodemus from last week, right? Who comes to Jesus at night. And here's Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman. And the writer of John's gospel says, it was noon when the sun is overhead, shining the brightest and the hottest. In the middle of the day, Jesus meets this woman who's dealt with shame and guilt and difficult relationship dynamics. She's been ostracized and marginalized, pushed to the edges. She comes in the hottest part of the day, but you didn't go then to draw water. Why would you go at the hottest part of the day? It's the hottest part of the day. And you're carrying heavy cisterns back to the town? She goes because she knows she'd very likely be alone. She comes and she meets Jesus now. Put yourself in this position. I want you to feel from the outset how uncomfortable this coupling might be. Here's a woman who, and the text doesn't give us insight, either through what she's done or what has happened to her by others. She's been through five husbands. And she's now living with a man who's not her husband. Very likely this woman might be a bit suspicious and taken aback at a single man waiting there by the well in the middle of the day and nobody else is around. I have no doubt she perhaps approached the well with a bit of caution. Wondering what this guy was doing there. You see, for a Jewish man to be talking to a Samaritan woman alone in public. Scandalous. Does Jesus shy away? No. No, he doesn't. Does the woman shy away? No, she doesn't either. You get past that 
that beginning of this encounter, then they start to engage, don't they? And right away, just as with Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, which by the way, did you know, this is the longest single discourse that Jesus has with anybody in the Gospel of John. It's a Samaritan woman. And in the Gospel of John, who is the first person to take the message of the Messiah out to other people? A Samaritan woman. Someone considered unclean and pagan, like an animal to good Jews. She's the one. Jesus comes to first. And immediately when they start to talk, they're misunderstanding each other, just like Jesus and Nicodemus, or rather the Samaritan woman is misunderstanding Jesus because she's hearing him on the level of literal water. And he's talking about the spiritual realm, just as Nicodemus misunderstood Jesus. Nicodemus was thinking about physical birth and Jesus was talking about spiritual rebirth. So right away, they're sort of misunderstanding each other. But they start to talk more and a relationship starts to develop. And perhaps in your mind, if you can picture with me this story, the woman who perhaps right away is feeling a sense of being unsafe, feeling a bit of guilt, feeling that shame, perhaps it starts to melt away as she gets more comfortable with this intriguing man who's talking to her about water. Water is a symbol in the Bible over and over again for God's mercy and God's grace. For God's mercy and God's grace. And Jesus wants to freely give it to this woman, doesn't he? He says, I'll give you water from a well that never runs dry, springing up to eternal life. You'll never thirst again. Give me this water. I want that, she says. Think of this story contrasted with Exodus 17. And why do we have those together today? I'll tell you why, and it's this. Exodus 17, the people demanded water. They wanted water on their terms. Read this. They wanted God's grace and mercy on their terms. And when we want God's grace and mercy on our terms, it's no longer grace and mercy. It's no longer a gift. It's something we grasp at and take. And God wants to freely give it in God's way, in God's time. And the Israelites wanted it on their time, when they wanted it. And that is to completely compromise the very nature of grace. Because when we start to take, it's no longer a gift. And Jesus wants to give this woman a gift. He wants to give her water. Read in that. He wants to save her and redeem her. He wants to take away that shame and that guilt. He doesn't want her to be ostracized anymore. He wants her to be restored to her place in the community. He wants her to know him for who he truly is. So he says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. And he says, yeah, yeah, that's right, you don't. You've had five. 
and the one you have now isn't your husband. And at that point, you can almost see the shift. She says, okay, this guy's at least a prophet. How else would he know this? And after that encounter, eventually she does go to the town. And what does she say? Come see a man. Come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Well, in that encounter, did Jesus tell her everything she's ever done? No. But he pointed right away. He honed right in to the source of absolute disruption in her life. The thing that kept her, that held her back, the thing that she believed defined her. And he took away the guilt and the shame in an instant. Not judging her, but instead teaching her about worship, about himself. And in that conversation, giving her living water. She must have tasted it because she goes away and she can't wait to tell other people about this man at the well. There's a one verse that I want us to carry with us this week and I don't want you to lose this. There's a moment here where the woman leaves. It says she drops her bucket. She lets it go. She leaves it there. And she goes and she tells. And I thought, you know, all of us here today, whether we know it or not, every one of us, every day, we're going to some wells, aren't we? We're going to some place and we're putting down our buckets, looking for something to keep us alive, something to keep us going Something to deal with the guilt and the shame that we feel. Something to take away the anxiety and the loneliness. Something to give us meaning and purpose. All of us, all of us have wells in our lives. And Jesus shows up in this woman's life and starts to tell her about a well that is all grace, that is all of a gift, that there's nothing she can do to earn it. And that is the well that defines her. Not what's happened to her, not what she's done, not what her community says about her, but the one who meets her at the well and wants to give her living water. That, that is what matters. She comes to realize in that moment that that man has everything she's ever needed. And the guilt and the shame can go. The past can be left behind. The way that she has lived in that community, alone and afraid, doesn't have to be that way anymore. And she goes and she tells Lent is a time to get back to spiritual basics and realities. And there is no concept in all of the faith that is more fundamental than this. That all of us here this morning, we all bring stuff with us, don't we? Maybe you're here today and you're embarrassed. You're guilty. You feel shame. Maybe you feel anger at somebody. 
Maybe there's something stopping you, holding you back. Friends, the scriptures remind us that there's someone who poured out his life for us, who gives us living water, and it's all of a gift. There's nothing we can do to deserve it or to earn it or to grasp it or to take it for ourselves. And that one who gives us that living water, in doing so, he says, my grace and my mercy define you. My love for you defines you. What I want to give you, I want to redeem you and to make you new and to save you. That defines you. Nothing else. There's no other well that can satisfy. You'll keep going back. Maybe some of you are here today and you know that's true. Maybe you've dealt with some of the harsher realities in life and you've been to other wells. Maybe you could give testimony today that those wells never quite satisfy. You keep going back. You keep going back. Friends, drink deep from the living water of the one who wants to give you his very life, his very self, to satisfy you through and through so that you will never thirst again. But friends, get this, it's all grace. It's nothing we can do to earn it. He gives it on his terms, not ours. He comes to us in his way, not on our own terms. He comes to meet us. And the spiritual dynamic is this. When you encounter the only one, the only one who can give you living water, you can't keep it in. You have to tell others. You have to tell others. You got to go back to the town, back to the places where you used to be, back to people who maybe knew you as somebody different and tell them, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Amen.